You are listening to Hands at Work Audio. From October 13, 2013, at Grace Church in Wisconsin, USA, George Snyman is speaking on Galatians 6, 1-10. George is the founder and CEO of Hands at Work in Africa. His talk is titled, Do Not Grow Weary. Sisu Community. It's a village where nobody earns more than a dollar a day. Nobody. And you can imagine within that community the most vulnerable children who buried both their mothers and fathers. No safety net, no social workers, no support. The day after they buried the last parent, the next day the fight to survive starts. I've stayed with those children in Sisu. I've eaten field mice with them. Because that's what they live on. But that's, of course, before there are generous partnerships like yours. This morning, I, I love Africa. I live for Africa. I love the poorest places in Africa. I find my salvation there. I find Christ there. But I am also deeply burdened to have the opportunity to share with you this morning about the heart of the Father. Because I know when all of us get that, the rest falls into place. Um, I am so privileged that I can stay with Craig and Brenda and their family. They're so good to me and, and we love being friends with them. I bring lots of greetings. People have SMSed me and emailed me the whole time, actually even through the night. You know, in Africa, the guys phone me three o'clock in the morning and I say, I'm sleeping. And they say, but why? The sun is up. Why are you sleeping? You know, so I've given up to try and explain the time differences. But the guys are sending their love to you. They, They are so excited to hear that there are people coming back in July. And I want you to know that the impact that you are having when you go back, when you know their names, it's huge. We, we stay behind. We know that when you guys leave, we know for how many months people are talking about you. People are singing the songs that you taught them. Boys are playing with the balls, constantly remembering that there are people that care about them. Bringing hope. Hope is the one thing that keeps us going. All of us need hope. But there's a huge privilege to be able to bring hope. I also bring you love from all the Hands at Work family. We are just a, a, a community of Christians from all over the world living together in community um, and spending every minute of every day that we can to, to reach out to these children. And so the Hans community, thank you that I can be here with you this morning. And I think some of them might even be at the table after the service. But I want to thank you and we will look forward to have you guys in Zambia next year. And, and we hope that you're going to meet some of the, the people in the community next year. If I, can, if I can put a title to this morning, I would most properly call it something like, from the unwanted to the wanted, the unchosen to the chosen, the fatherless to the fathered. 
I know you as a church have actually worked through the book of Galatians in the last, I don't know, I think from February or March. And so I thought, you know, if it's true what I'm sharing, if it's true that this, this heart of God is just everywhere in the word, if we really seek it, in Proverbs it say, those that seek me earnestly will find me, then, then his heart must be in Galatians. So I just took Galatians, and I'm just going to work through it a little bit, and I'm just going to share images of what I really believe is the ultimate importance for this morning, something that we can see the glimpses of our heart of our Father. I love Galatians 2, verse 9 and 10. It's one of my favorite verses where, where Paul, who's about to become an apostle, the only one who hasn't been walking with Jesus, but of course he had a dramatic experience on the way to Damascus. And so Paul and Barnabas was about to be set apart and to be given a commission to go and work with the Gentiles. And, and, and it was Peter and uh, James and, and John that laid their hands on Paul. And friends, it's very interesting because they said there, we only ask one thing of you. Never forget the poor. And then Paul continues to say, the very thing that's on my heart all the time. Never forget the poor. Galatians 2.20 and 2.21, there's, a, there's something hidden in there this morning. I'm just building up to something. Bear with me for a minute. But Galatians 2.20, that say, I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Here it comes, here it comes. For Christ lives in me. The life I live in a body, I live in faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set the grace of God apart because if I could obtain righteousness through the law, then Christ died for nothing. And so this morning, we see in Galatians 2.20, again, it's, it's coming, it's building up. Paul is building his case here in Galatians. He's saying, Christ, Christ gave everything for me. And I receive it, and, and he's living in me. But in Galatians 3, it goes a step further. And we read this remarkable thing about our Father's plans for us. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law. You and I were captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming of faith would be revealed. So when the law, which was our guardian until Christ came, where we could be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, you and I are sons and daughters of God. We've, we've been held captive. We've been held captive. You know, I was in, in, in Senegal, in West Africa, a few years ago. And I had the privilege to go to the island just offshore. 
It was incredible. One of the life-changing moments of my life as I was wrestling with, with the biblical justice and the, the heart of the Father. I was hunting God's heart for years. For years, I knew if I caught his heart, the rest will fall in place. Well, I ended up in Senegal. In fact, offshore Senegal, there's this little island. And in the previous century, early in the previous century, when the slave masters did their raids into Africa, they will hit the villages in, in, in West Africa. When the sun comes up, they will hit a village and they will just capture scores of people, men, women, children, put chains around their necks and they will drive them towards the, the port at Senegal. And from there, they will put them in boats and they'll take them onto this island. Friends, I was in that island. There would be three dungeons underground, pitch dark. You know what they did? They took the men and they threw them in one dungeon. Then they took the women and they threw them in one dungeon. And then they took the children and they threw them in one dungeon. They kept them there for three months, separated. Can you imagine? Wake up one morning you with your family. An hour later, you could change around your neck. That night, you, you are separated. You know, they had a policy that they said they will never send a husband and a wife and a children to the same continent. Done by believers or so-called believers. Done in the name of Christ. You know, they would take that slaves, it's a narrow tunnel like this, and they would walk them, I walked on that tunnel, and suddenly, whoa, you get to this place and it's this cliff. And the sea is there. And the ships will come. And you will walk through that onto the ship. To become a slave for the rest of your life. Never to see your family again. They call it the door of no return. I stood at that door and I looked at that. And I knew. I, I knew. I saw glimpses of my father's heart. I started understanding a little bit of what God has done for me. I started understanding a little bit that I was captive. I was caught by a raid. I was thrown in a dungeon. Galatians 4, the next chapter, goes even a bit further and describe it a bit deeper for us. Listen to this. What evidence do we see in our lives that we are God's children? Paul sees clear evidence in the fact that the Holy Spirit bears witness in our hearts and that we are God's children. Yet comes. But when the time had fully come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters and we might cry out Abba Father we can say it like this in one sentence in regeneration God gives us a new spiritual life in justification God takes us and gives us a right legal standing before him we all know that. But do you know, in adoption, God make you part of his family. 
You become his son and his daughter. No trial period. No if you pass this. You walk in and you're a son. And Jesus becomes your older brother. I was in a village called Mzimba. It was a very hot day. Very hot. Like it was yesterday in Africa. 101. And I walked in the heat of the day and I saw old grandmother sitting under a tree. And she just had a horde of orphans around her. I walked with a number of care worker ladies who themselves have got five, six, some of them 12 orphans in their hearts. But they spent hours a day walking in the villages, caring, encouraging, praying, washing. We found this old grandmother sitting under a mango tree with all these children. And we sat with her under the tree. I love doing that. I love being with the poor. I find Jesus there. I find Jesus there. He falls like a wet blanket over me when I'm among those people. But as we sat there under the tree talking, I looked up and about five meters away was this boy who sat and he was just checking me out like this. He looked about four years old. I spoke to his granny and she called him. His name was Tlantla. It means lucky. Well, there was nothing lucky about him. His mother died. His father died. He was actually seven years old. He was not allowed to go to school. The teacher said to him, we can't give you a desk. You're going to die anyway. There's no place for you. Seven years old. And he saw this man walking into his grandmother that morning, sitting under a tree, and he was watching me, and I could see how his brain was ticking. So, okay, who are you? What other religion or empty promises or why are you here? Just experiencing the deepest pain and rejection. Friends, it's when our lives go light with those lives that we answer the real questions. Do you know the Jesus I know? Or have you turned some Jesus into a white middle class American? If you have, I want to I dare to suggest this morning, you don't have a clue who Jesus is. Jesus said, I've come to bring the good news to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted. Are you brokenhearted this morning? Jesus said, I've come to heal the brokenhearted. I've come to, to comfort those who are mourning. And there I'm sitting with Lucky, Tlantla, and I'm pulling him closer and I start to play with him and slowly I win him over. You know, he was already turning white because of his immune system that was so depleted because of the AIDS pandemic. There was no medication for him at that time. And people started, as he started building a relationship with me, people started gossiping that I was actually his father. It was okay with my wife. But you know, me and Lucky became such good friends. Lucky will wait for me in the mornings when I come with my pickup to go and work in that community. Sometimes Lucky will be so weak that he will not be able to stand. He will lean against the tree or he will sit under a rock waiting for me. But when he sees me, he will get a smile. 
Sometimes, like he will sit next to me in the pickup, and his little head will just be on my lap. Too tired, too weak to even lift his head. You know, it's interesting, friends, but when we dare to cross the road, when we dare to get out of our comfort zones, when we dare to get, look further than ourselves, we find ourselves. We find God. We find peace. You know, if I think of Lucky and my family, we've given him nothing. He's given us everything. Lucky moved into my house. At night, Lucky will sleep next to me and Carolyn. And I will, times I will listen to him how he's hurting. And I'll put my hand out. And I will touch his body. And every single time I touched him, there was like an electric shock running through my arm. It's like I knew he was dying. Lucky will do everything I do. When we eat, you know, when the children don't eat their food, I know you don't do it. In Africa, then the dad, you know, start eating. So, so when I do that, Lucky will start eating food out of my children's plates. He will do everything I do. You know, the biggest blessing I gave my children, they were all under nine years old, was to have a dying orphan in our house. Lucky died as if he planned it exactly three years after his mother, same day. Friends, we had a funeral there in his village. The whole village came. They insisted that I, as his father, should lead that funeral. My daughter then, about 10, 11 years old, read a poem. And she knew nothing. You know, I never even told my wife of that electric shock through my arm. And that day when my daughter read the poem, she said, Lucky, we love you so much that when we think of you, you run like an electric shock through our bodies. Have you met that Christ? Have you ever dared to cross the road? To look further than your comfort? You see, if we say we glorify God, and we say Galatians 2.20 is true, that Christ lives in us, and if he has come, if he's not a liar, and he came to heal the broken heart, how, how can we walk past the luckies? How can our comfort be more important than reaching out? How come people have to talk to us about it? How is it possible that, that we are not just compelled to cross the road when we see that pain? Not because we are better or because we are Mother Teresa. Because the living God's heart, His DNA is pumping in our rib cages. The God, your God. I'll explain him to you. I will quote a man, a man after his own heart, David, when he said, God, I love this. I love serving a God like this. He's the father for the fatherless. And he's a husband to the widow. Do you know that God? I 
Psalm 89 verse 14 say, His throne is established on righteousness and justice. Two Corinthians 8 verse 9 is so beautiful. For we know the grace of God that Christ, even though he was rich, he became poor so that you and I could become rich. Friends, until you understand, until you understand the realization that you were in that dungeon heading for, heading for slavery, you cannot understand God. You cannot understand your salvation. Until you understand that you have undeservingly somebody burst into your lives. In fact, if I can paint a picture, I would say there was once a community, an amazing community, totally self-providing, constant happiness, no problem. And they saw pain and suffering. And because they are love, they were compelled to break that community open. And they said to the son, you're going to have to go. Because we can't leave them like that. And the message said, he became flesh and he moved into our neighborhood. The one who held the stars and cast them in the universe and named them became a fetus in a single woman's womb. He gave birth. He had to drink from his mother to survive. He was so in love with you, he became so vulnerable that he became a refugee in Africa. He had to learn how to tie his shoes. That's what he gave for you and me. Did you know that? I met a grandmother in Lagos in a slum. I cannot describe the slum to you. You've got to go. It's a, it's a slum of 400,000 people. No running water, no electricity. The temperature is always between 90 and 110, 365. And I walk in the slum and it's just chaos with a few care workers. And as I walk out of the corner of my eye, I see this old woman, old woman sitting the sewerage is in a road, and, and this woman is sitting, she sits like this, in the midst of people just running around her. Friends, I, I was compelled to stop dead in my tracks. I could not walk on and say, I believe in Christ. It wouldn't, my, my books wouldn't balance. I didn't know what to do. I was so overwhelmed to be in that slum that I was just trying to stay out of trouble. I was just trying to move through it to see what was happening. And I sat with that woman and I said to her, tell me your story. Wouldn't it be nice if you did to ask somebody, tell me your story. 
You know, today we live in lives that are detached. We count the cost and the benefits of everything and if it doesn't work out positive for us, we're not interested. That's a system, that's a kingdom of the world. Our father has cleaned the table. He said, I brought a new kingdom. I brought a new kingdom. I'm not into that. I want you to be free. I want you to bring hope and love. I've given you fingerprints because you, you can bring the love. Even in a slum in Lagos. I'm sitting there with that woman and she started telling me she had six children. All six died. She had a baby of about 11 months with her. I gave one look at this baby. I knew this child was not going to survive. It doesn't matter what I do. But you know, she had this corrugated shack behind her. Corry, just corrugated. It's like a sauna in there. And I saw a girl of 12 years old going in and out. And I said to the grandmother, Who, who's this girl? And she told me the story that one of her neighbors, when all her children died, went to a rural village. And she went and she took a big bag of, of uh, what would you guys call it? Corn, I guess. A big bag of, bag of corn to a village. And she went to the poorest family. And, they, and she gave them a bag of corn. <laughs> she took the daughter. She took the daughter, 12 years old, put her on a bus, sent her to a hellhole in Lagos to go and serve her grandmother. Never met her before. That child doesn't even know the name of her village. Friends, I'm sitting there. I'm thinking, this, this baby's not going to survive. This old woman is about dying. What's going to happen to this girl of 12? Today, they're on this planet. They live, they live. I know their names. We've just got to come down to a simple question. We've got to just ask one question, really. I mean, is Jesus really alive? <laughs> I don't know. Is he alive? Can he feel? If he can feel... What does he feel? If he can say something to you and me now, what will he say? Whose names will he mention? It took me 50 US dollars to give that girl of 12 years a new life. I want to reach a hundred thousand children of no hope. I want to know their names. I want to walk and find them. I want to find them one by one, not just myself. I want people like you. I, unashamedly, unashamedly, I need you. I need you. But you know, friends, I, I need you to help me to do it. But I can stand here with such conviction saying it because I know Africa needs you, but you need Africa. We are dying physically. 180,000 new orphans every month. New. 
But I want to dare to say you've got 180,000 spiritual orphans every month. It's when those two broken worlds collide. It's when they hit each other that John 10.10 becomes alive and it brings life to both. It's not you going and telling them or you giving them whatever. Yes, all of that is a part. But I've never met anybody in 17 years that have walked with me in those villages, in those slums, and met the people and come back and say, and not say, I'm the poor one here. I'm the poor one. I took a group of doctors from LA into this very slum earlier this year. We found Grace and her two daughters, two children, living on a broken car seat. Not a wall, not a roof. In a slum, on a broken car seat. That was their belonging. You know, we were so touched and hurt. The next morning, in the slum, <laughs> we were putting together a little shelter for her. We went back that next morning, six o'clock. We were in the slum. We were standing there at the door, waiting for Grace and the two children to come out of their own house. For the first time since our husband died, seven years earlier. I'm the husband of the widow. If your daddy said, I am the father to the fatherless and the husband of the widow, who do you think, who do you think is acting it out if it's not us? And it is in this place, it's in this place where we are right now, where Paul is writing to the Galatians. And he said, do not grow weary for doing good. For in due, due season, you will reap a harvest. You will for your dad, for the house, you and his business. His business is business of reconciliation. Reconciling people to the Father. Righteousness. Reconciling people to each other. And, and together, that's justice and righteousness. Together it makes the cross. That is to live for Christ. You take one away. John, the disciple who was loved, say, you are a liar if you say you love God. You're a liar. I'm a liar if I say that. If this is not here, John say, don't talk this. You talk rubbish. Go and read it in 1 John. John 3.16 say, for God so loved the world that he gave 1 John 3, 16 say, now that we know love, that he laid his life down for us, we, we ought to lay our lives down for our brothers and sisters. But you see, we cannot do that. Unless we know there's a city to come. Friends, there's a city to come. <laughs> there's a king, there's a wedding coming. <laughs> I can't wait for that wedding. I know who's going to be there. Lucky is going to be there. I know many of them, they're going to be there. Are you going to be there? Are you spending your time, your talents and your treasures now in this few moments you have on this earth to display the beauty, the shalom, the picture of your father? Are you? 
Or has the world entangled you and gripped you and sucked you so deep in that it's everything about you? Do you know the Jesus I know? 1 John 2, 6 say, Now that we know him, we ought to live like him. Jesus saw the crowd who was hungry and had compassion. He saw the widows whose son died and had compassion. He saw the people like sheep of a shepherd and had compassion. Compassion. It's a hallmark. It's tattooed in our hearts. We can't help it. We are compulsive, compassionate people. If the Spirit of God is in us. The world is broken, not just in Africa, but here in Racine. Broken. I've met many broken people while I was in the United States now. Sons and daughters of your father. (laughs) He's coming back soon. Where's your fingerprints going to be? Where's your fingerprints going to be? Will it be a crown unto your dad? Will it be something that you can say, Dad, <laughs> do you know my life I've lived? Do you know my, what you've given me? Yes, my crown. Let us pray. Lord, you came to bring absolute, unself-centered sacrifice and to teach us. It was so other-focused in his pursuit of those that you loved, so driven by determination to do us good that you never thought about yourself. You always put our well-being ahead of your own. Not because we were lovable or likable or because you felt like it or because you were convenient or comfortable but just because that is what love does. I pray that the love, the love of the Son of God will be deep in your hearts. That the Holy Spirit will reveal to you the truth that you are sons and daughters in your father's house. You are not hirelings. You're not like the older brothers staying outside anymore. You've been with the pigs and you came home. Some of us might have to come home today. Some of us are still with the pigs. Well, your dad is standing on the veranda today and he's saying, come today. Let it go. This place in my house. True religion is to love the widow and the orphan and to stay unpolluted from the things of the world. May God give you that heart of compassion. May grace live out true grace. 
Now you give sacrificially way beyond what you can. And be just like your older brother. And may your father be glorified by the works. And may the whole world be grinded to a standstill. And know that there's still a God of love and hope when they see your labor of love. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. www.handsatwork.org